When you think of true rock royalty, there's one name that comes to mind. Freddie Mercury, the man, the myth, the mustache. As the flamboyant frontman of Queen, he was a shooting star leaping through the sky. But tragically, he would burn out far too soon. In this special two-part episode, we'll be exploring the real life of a musical champion and the terrible circumstances that led to his death on a quiet Sunday afternoon in 1991. If you're looking for a feel-good fantasy, go watch the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. This podcast may not be your bag. For the rest of you, grab your crown, raise your mic stand, and get ready for a killer time. This week on Death in Entertainment. From Los Angeles. 911, what is your emergency? Here in Hollywood now. Two counts of murder, injury, and death. Oh my God! Shocking new details that has stunned the entertainment world. Um, this makes me a little nervous. The hair stood up on my arms. Just like in the movies. Ah! What do you call this thing, anyway? Death in entertainment. Hello, deados and darlings. Oh, my lord, here we are. Hello, lovies. We got a lit. A bit of Brit-ish <laughs> today. I've been possessed by <laughs> someone who I don't care for. I'm broken. Cow's <laughs> yeah. out of pocket. What is right going up. on, everybody? My name is Kyle Plouffe. My name is Mark Mulcairn. And I'm Alejandro Dowling. And we are discussing the lively life until the end of the life of Mr. Freddie Mercury. On a lively life. <laughs> we have a crazy little thing called Kyle Plouffe. Yeah. Here today, yeah. crazy little thing called death. Yeah, Kyle's <laughs> nuts. He's. I, I, are you a big Queen fan? I feel like you are based on. Your oh, I'm a today. big Queen baby. You're just a Queen. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Queens, check out the skeleton in the background. Hey, today. hands on the hips. Very sad. Sup? Sup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, we still need to figure out. Uh, this is the ofe- official mascot of uh, the diepod here. We've had some comments of people being like, "You need to name." the skeleton behind us and i don't think i've said it on the podcast yet but my vote was for calcium berto <laughs> oh that's funny <laughs> <laughs> is it because yeah. of the, bo- the bones so the bones calci yeah. umberto yeah so funny i forgot to laugh damn yeah. <laughs> well dedos keep brainstorming think of a name for our friend over there yeah so kyle's giving you an example of what not to do exactly (laughs) yeah i lead by non-example yeah so take his lead and uh send us an email do something else with it please and we got a big episode here today this is a very big episode this is a suggestion from patron yeah tiger lily Hey, Tiger Lily. Thank you, Tiger Lily. We love you. This is, I mean, Tiger Lily is one of the biggest, uh, most vocal supporters out there. Biggest so. diehead alive. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Speaking of, well, get Freddie Mercury not alive. Yeah. That's a spoiler alert here. Woo. And Wait, that, did he die? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we glide on over to November 24th, 1991. Let's go. Do it. November 24th, 1991. Oh my goodness. I don't, I kind of remember 1991. I'll do a little bit. I, <laughs> I, it's weird because I remember buying 
the Queen CD best of greatest hits because I just wanted um, the song from Wayne's World. Uh, Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah. And, and I bought the whole best of, and my friends are like, why are you buying that? If you're going to spew, spew into, into this. this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the tiniest cup. <laughs> the song gave me chills. Like the, My, my uh, arm hair was sticking up during it. Okay, my, it's a little TMI. Yeah. My mom and friend of the show, Auntie Jill, took me and my little cousin, uh, Mark, to go see Wayne's World Separate live. Mark, different Mark. Different Mark, yeah. yeah. Better Mark, for sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've met this Mark also. Yeah. I believe this was the same year you saw 101 Dalmatians and laughed at your aunt for yes. tripping. Different movie theater, though. That okay. was Braintree. This was Quincy Center. Back Ooh. when Quincy Center had a movie theater. So, yeah. There's a lot yeah, going on. A lot but going on. in the world of movies, I actually saw two of these three movies at the Quincy Movie Theater. Uh, I'll go ahead and say number three was Beauty and the Beast. Oh. I saw that in the theater. Angela Lansbury. Other people. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you have like an encyclopedic knowledge of this movie. <laughs> no, Jerry. just with the Angela, Angela Lansbury, that's it. Yeah. Jerry Orbach. Yeah. Oh, at, Orbach. As the candle, the French candle. Oh, Bjorgis. Yeah. Did you know that was the guy from Law & Order? No. Wait, what? Jerry Orbach. I don't know Jerry Orbach by Wait, name, but I know exactly who you're what? talking I, about. I, I he was in like a thousand episodes. I know no, exactly I know that. With Sam Waterston. About. Yeah, of course. But I, for some reason, it escapes me right now what his name was on Law & Order. Oh, his character name. His character I name. I don't know that. Munch. Oh, my God. <laughs> Not I'm, much. Yeah, I'm bringing his picture up right now, Mark. You'll freak. I, I know who Jerry Orbach was, of course. But this is Garcon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had no idea this was Garcon. He, he was uh, a multi-talent, I guess. Yeah. He had, he had range of this guy. He Look performed at it guy. at the Oscars that yeah. year. Are you kidding me? No. Wow. Bjorgis. Yeah. He was also in Dirty Go to jail. Dad in Dirty Dancing. <laughs> Yes. All right, Kyle, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle shot out of a cannon today. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's like, we're going to have to tie him down to the chair. Tie me down. It's not going well. Here. Okay, number two movie. Yes, number two movie is Cape Fear. Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. Movie. My favorite part of that one is when he's laughing his ass off in the movie theater, like, to, like, some kid, it's like probably Kyle when he goes to see, you know, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's like, <laughs> he's like, with a cigar. With a cigar. Yeah. Classic scene. Yeah. And classic. you remember what that movie was that he's watching? What was it? Problem Child. Oh, was yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> I like how they play a movie in that world. And Scorsese, he's such a, you know, a student of film. Wouldn't he put in something? more historical as far as like an old I movie. guess he wanted it to feel contemporary because that guess. came out the year before yeah and I love that it's his like I don't give a shit movie after Goodfellas yeah his most stylistic one since After Hours and it's a where, remake yeah it's a remake I think it, it's just an exercise in him being commercial and yeah. just making a stupid suspense movie yeah but it is very effective yeah okay number one Number one, the Adams family. My God, we're back to the Adams family. Remember last episode, we had to do the fake Adams family too. Oh, that's right. This yeah. is the real Adams family movie. Yes, yeah. for real, for real. I remember. Uh, m- remember, we can go onto the Spice Channel. I remember that the Madams, the Madams family was on there. <laughs> the Madams. Family. The Ma- I was like, wait a second, what's that? I know the Adams family. I want to watch the Madams. It was like. It was like when you kind of like <laughs> go on to the porn channel. And, and get it was like snowy. Yeah, and you get like a second of it and just like try to like. <laughs> I think know. that's a tit. Yeah, I think 
<laughs> I got a, a, a quick spot of the uh, Madams family, and I think I got a... Yeah, if you're a very young listener and you don't remember the Spice Channel, that was the original smut channel you could get on your TV. Yeah. And I... Went... That was the original you porn. Yeah. yeah. I went to my cousin's house for her birthday party, and she was also my godmother because she was like 15 years older than me. And Okay, let's give the full mm, background here. Everybody else... Back to Kyle's family. <laughs> yeah. That Every... makes the Adams family look normal. Are we back at Quincy's? Center? Everybody, this is Malden, Massachusetts, by the okay. way. We're getting closer to the Carr family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> North Shore. <laughs> and I just remember they were like, just, I was the youngest one. The, I was like, I'm tired. They're like, go watch the TV. I turn on the TV and it's the Spice Channel and it's just people fucking. So they, they had a subscription. Uh, so they were allowing her, my cousin's husband, to live there with them. And when I turned that on, I went back in and I was like, there's bad stuff on the TV, and everyone was like, oh, fucking Danny. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we ordered it. I've never seen anyone order the Spice Channel. No. Like, I oh, just Dirty Danny story. had it. Oh, what a sick, <laughs> sicko. Sick puppy. I did by accident once. <laughs> oh, and then come on. It yeah. was the days where- Yeah, me too. Yeah, listen, we're not your mom. Yeah. You don't have to <laughs> yeah. lie to us. Pay-per-view would replay <laughs> it over and over all day. It yeah. was like a channel. Yeah, you, you buy bought. it once, yeah. and it just yeah. kept going. <laughs> it was like Bo, Bo is afraid over here. <laughs> <laughs> had more uh, nudity than Bo is afraid. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you guys want to discuss the top three music right now? Let's do I'm it. I'm afraid so. Um, well, it's apropos because we're doing Freddie Mercury, and uh, you know who is a well-known um, musician, musician, one of the best, <laughs> and lead singer of Queen. Number three <laughs> song right now. I love this song. Set adrift on memory bliss by PM Dawn. Some smooth. R&B right there. Do you know this song, Kyle? No. And it samples True by Spandau Ballet. Yeah, there's definitely a a, a sample. You can't find the song anywhere on iTunes or anything. They reference Christina Applegate in it as uh, having a crush on her from, uh, which is weird. Married with Children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So another contemporary reference. Exactly. Wow, I'm picking up a trend here. Hey. Number True. Number True. (laughs) (laughs) Number two for True. Okay. Uh, Number two. Cream by Prince. Cream. This is when Prince went dirty. Yeah, he went nasty. Yeah. Like Christina <laughs> would do in a decade. Let's get dirty. <laughs> yeah. You're smacking Apollonia in the face. <laughs> he's doing that, but he's also yeah. He's also doing like the Batman soundtrack. So he's like doing yeah. sexy stuff, but also kind of weird stuff. I yeah. mean, sexy. This is full on about come. Yeah. I don't know if that's sexy <laughs> or yeah. just smut. It's like the Spice Channel. <laughs> uh, number one, when a man loves a woman. When a man by Michael Bolton loves a woman. This is can't keep his mind on nothing else. This is referenced in <laughs> Office Space, where he's like, "It doesn't get better for my money." But then when he does, when a man loves a woman. I mean, that is such a douche move to redo this song because it was perfect by Percy Sledge. Well, what do you think? What else does Michael Bolton have in the his bag of tricks? And the know? fact that it was number one. That just makes me sick. <laughs> Not a Michael Bolton fan. But we were here. talking about a couple of episodes ago how everyone used to, you know, re-record everyone's stuff back in the day, but it was more like you were saying contemporary. It was more like recent. Yeah. But yeah. but instead of like picking up a song that was popular like forty years ago. Right. And stealing it, basically. It's a desperate move when you don't have any other ideas. But it's Michael Bolton. He's not like a an individual artist, <laughs> you know? He's not yeah. like Prince where, like, you know, he has his own vision. He's a, he's a fucking karaoke star. <laughs> <laughs> and you know who else he's not like? 
What? Freddie Mercury. No, no. Oh. Speak of the devil. Freddie Mercury was born Farouk Balsara on September 6th, 1946, in Zanzibar. Are y'all familiar with this place? No, where is it? Island province off the east coast of Africa, at that time under protection from the British Empire. Protection? It's like a colony. Yeah, Yeah. they called it a protectorate. Oh, okay. That's like, like America has right now. Just <laughs> yeah, we'll protect you from other people taking you over like we did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we'll take everything you got. <laughs> yeah, we'll protect your resources <laughs> yeah. for us. We'll protect all your gold back in England. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just hold on to that for a second. <laughs> yeah. The Bulsaras moved from West India for his father's job at the British colonial office. He had one younger sister named Kashmira. Oh. And this was a strict Zoro. Zoroastrian. How do you say that? Zoroastrian? Zoroastrian? Maybe. I don't know. I've never heard this. Family, which means they study that religion, comes from the Parsi community. They were known as Parsis. Oh, wow. This is uh, very convoluted. Yeah, I know. We'll just keep going. Yeah. This religion also had early concepts of heaven and hell. Dare I say... Every religion had that. You would think so. Yeah. So there's like a. Are you saying there's a precursor to Christianity? You said it. Okay. Growing up, for Rock. I never knew he had a different name. The Rock spent a lot of time with relatives in India. He learned how to play piano and was well educated. So they weren't like a rich family, but they were well to do with servants. Yeah, maids. they're tra- they're well traveled. They're going from you know off the coast of Africa to India. That's kind of a long trip. Yeah, they lived comfortably. Yeah, and at age eight, Farak was sent to an all boys boarding school near Bombay, now modern day Mumbai. Ah, okay. There's so much, so many updates to all these places. <laughs> yeah. Well, the British colonies, once they stopped taking over or, you know, God gave the land back, basically, they, they changed some stuff up. And it was there that he started his first band, known as the Hectics, and they would cover rock and roll songs. He was always a fan of pop music, and he could actually replay songs from the radio on his piano. Oh, wow. So he he's, like, listening to British and American, like, pop uh, rock album, yeah, like whatever is on the charts, like he loved Little it. Richard, yeah, Little Richard, exactly. Ooh, in fact, this is what I he covered Little Richard in the Hectics. Oh, did he? Yeah, that makes sense. That's like he wow. was. Well, some would say Little Richard was the first rock star, even before Elvis. I would agree with that. Yeah, and this is where he adopts the name Freddie. Freddie is born. Freddie is Bo- dead. Yeah, <laughs> Freddie Bolsara. Freddie Unleashed. At age 18, (laughs) he returned to live with his family in Zanzibar until the revolution of 1964, the next year, in which the Sultan was overthrown and it became an independent republic. And wait for it, it joined with Tanganyika and became Tanzania. Oh. These these names are going to keep you on your toes this episode. Due to the violence and unrest, the Bolsaras fled to central London. Freddie studied graphic design at Ealing Art College, graduating in 1969. 
That same year, he joined a Jimi Hendrix knockoff band called Ibex. So they would play the blues, rock and roll, that sort of thing. What what led to Ibex? I wonder. Like the name? Yeah, <laughs> I've tried to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds like a tech company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a Silicon Valley startup yeah. or something. Sounds like something you wash your car window with. Yeah. <laughs> Join the newest cryptocurrency, Ibex. <laughs> so uh, if you can believe it, Freddie Balsara was a shy guy. Basically an introvert. Yeah. And it was when he was doing his music that he would come alive. And he was still coming into his own as a singer. In the hit movie where Rami Malek won an Oscar. The biopic, which, I, which it, I like. We've talked about I enjoyed it. You liked it more than I did, but we'll get yeah. to that. Okay. They make it seem like he's auditioning for the band. And then he goes like, I should be doing all right. And then everyone is like, <laughs> oh, my God. I have never. You should join the bond. Yeah. In reality, he was so, so, and was really learning how to project his voice. Yeah. He was apparently born with extra incisor teeth. Yeah, his teeth are wild. He's and got he, a lot of them. <laughs> so he big. was able to like hit a, a lot dolphin. of- dolphin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they say like he could get really high, get Because really of his teeth situation? Well, that's one of the reasons they yeah. claim. He was like part orca or something? Or alien, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. His he was teeth a, or... from another world. He was just, one. you know, when you have that much talent, well, where that, does it come from? That's ballsy. It comes ca- from the teeth. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> that's, that's where the, uh, the power comes from. Uh, he, and he could eat a good steak. I bet you, yeah. Probably like three bites or something. <laughs> Freddie, slow down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Freddie ate our porch again. Yeah. <laughs> Freddie, stop eating the porch. Freddie the chewer. Yes. <laughs> to make money, he worked as a baggage handler at Heathrow Airport, and he also had a stall at Kensington Market with friend and flatmate Roger Taylor. Oh, so he he leaves school and he moves out on his own and he's like working like odd jobs and stuff. Yeah, and at this stall, which is basically like a stand at yeah. this big flea market, they sold secondhand clothes. Oh. And this is also where he would dip into his own product. So yeah. he was always fashionable, but his own sense of fashion. Yeah. And very androgynous. I bet. And this is also the height, not the height, but probably the startings of glam rock. So, like, early 70s we're talking about? Yes. Yeah, yeah. This is around, like, 1969, 1970. Yeah. And in glam rock, it was cool to be androgynous. Yeah. In fact... Well, Bowie was getting bigger, so... Yeah. And a lot of those guys that acted like they were gay were actually straight. <laughs> yeah. One guy said in one of the documentaries I watched, he's like, the gayer you acted, the harder the chicks... <laughs> I bet you one guy just like he was like not getting any chicks at all. He thought he just kept trying and trying and trying. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's you, buddy. <laughs> he puts on a bra. Hello, ladies. There's <laughs> a dildo in his hand. He's like, saved you a save. Yeah. I'm just kidding, it's mine. <laughs> he gets, and they're like, all right, creep. He gets pregnant somehow. <laughs> 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 or he actually starts doing guys. Yeah, yeah. It just takes it way too He's far. Like, I just imagine the chicks. I ironically <laughs> fuck men. I'm the friend that takes things way too literal. I'm <laughs> so straight far. that I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> I flipped out the other side. <laughs> 
So Roger Taylor played drums in a band called Smile, which had changed its name from 1984. And Freddie was not in this band. No, he was not in this band. Because that, that would make sense because he's got all those teeth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Smile. And Roger Taylor was studying to become a dentist. Oh, wow. Maybe another reason for the name. Interesting. So Smile was flirting with success but struggling to take off. And Freddie's got his sights set because Ibex is going nowhere. And he really digs Smile's music. So by 1970, Ibex was history. And then in Smile... Lead singer Tim Staffel quit the band, leaving an opening for a new singer. Dun, dun, dun. It's really hard to find a good frontman, and I, he's such a unique person. I'm sure it took that band a little bit of convincing to know that like, that would be a good frontman idea. Yeah, it wasn't like the movie, as I mentioned. No, it's not. Yeah. Well, everything in these ridiculous biopics are like, you know, then they come up with the, like all the songs right there, <laughs> like on the spot when they first meet each other. It's ridiculous. I know. Like they hear that bass line. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. What did you just say? That's I just, a solid bass line you got there. I just said another one by so dust. I was talking about a bug over there. You know? it's like, We're yeah. just dusting the apartment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, we need to hurry up act one here. Yeah. <laughs> People are getting bored. Yeah. <laughs> so Freddie swooped in after years of being on the periphery of Smile. And then they auditioned several bass guitarists before landing on John Deacon in 1971. And the last bass guitarist before him, it was kind of cruel. They pretended like the band was just breaking up. Really? He said, oh, we didn't make it. We're just going to disband. And he's like, oh, cool. Then he realized that they just were trying to get rid of him and oh, didn't want to make him feel bad. What I, dicks. I've, I've heard people doing that with like improv groups. They're like, <laughs> yeah, we're just like, you know, we're just going to do our separate things. And then they just come back with a different name because they just want to <laughs> get rid of one person. I guess it's nicer than facing reality. Yeah. I don't know. Just kicking someone out of like a, a band that means nothing at, yeah. that, at that time. Exactly. Yeah. You know this thing that makes us no money? And we, you know, it's just something on paper that we call it ourselves and not even getting books. You're out of it. But yeah, we're scared to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> we're firing you for making no money. Donald Trump didn't believe in that theory. Yeah. Oh, you're fired. You're fired. <laughs> Freddie suggested they rename the band Smile to... Queen. You got it. It's got to be. He said, simple, splendid, and regal, darling. Really? Well, the, the androgynous stuff was really, you know, kicking into high gear yeah. at this time. Yeah. <laughs> they were aware of the connotations at the time, yeah. but Freddie was right. Simple, easy to remember, and powerful sounding, yeah. I would say. Just like Freddie. Yes. Yeah. And he also changed his name, last name that is, to Mercury. And the rest is history. In Roman mythology, Mercury is the god of commerce, communication, and fabulousness. So it wasn't <laughs> after the car insurance company. No. Okay. <laughs> Freddie also designed the Queen Crest logo. Because remember, he has the background in graphic arts. Yeah. And the logo combines the zodiac signs of all four band members. Two lions for Leo, which are uh, John Deacon, the bassist, and Roger Taylor, the drummer. And that's me, baby. What? A crab. <laughs> a Leo. Oh, nice. <laughs> a crab for <laughs> cancer, which is guitarist Brian May. And two fairies for Virgo, which is Mercury. Yeah. The band was now ready for world domination. 
in the early days, Freddie was taking his androgynous style and then going even further with it. Mm-hmm. He stood out because he, everything was black and white, flowing frocks. And here we have a clip of the publicist from EMI Records when he first noticed this band. This. And where do you get a load of this guy? Yeah, I was going to say, this fucking Is he guy. a piece of work? Oh, Freddie yeah. Mercury was showbiz bubbler. He should have been in pantomime, really, you know? As one of the ugly sisters. <laughs> or, you know? Boy, you were ugly, Freddie. I loved you, but you were ugly. I had a very dear yeah, friend look at you. Mine. He said, Eric, there's a band called Queen. You should come and see Yeah, him. look at this beauty. I always love to see new talent. <laughs> I went to see him. I think maybe the marquee club or one of those clubs. And I fell in love with him. I thought, these guys are going to be big. Monster big. Freddie stood out. He stood out for me. He was the star. He was the, you know, he loved it. I don't know. I think it's the old word, charisma. He had that this guy's out of breath. Magic, that sparkle. Uh, this guy's like, Queen's going to be as big as my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> In the gall of this guy to call someone ugly. Yeah. <laughs> you 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 pan out. He's like in his deathbed. Yeah. <laughs> he is dead since yeah, this interview. I by hope the way. he got, has some oxygen. Oh, did he die? Yeah, yeah. It, it he died like, probably right after the interview. This was, was too much excitement for him. <laughs> I think choked on his own tongue. Yeah. <laughs> you think about Brian. He was that great. You know, I think Brian was. Great. And he says, "Bubla." Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love uh, wacky guys where you can only understand half of what they're saying. (laughs) He's a weird, out of breath guy, but who's sweating for some reason. But you know, he was excited about the band. You know, he's uh, he. They need you need people like that. You don't have mm-hmm. that these days. The filter place for him. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have. <laughs> I well, want him to say that about me. Seriously, yeah, you don't be have the fucking manager for us. You no longer have <laughs> revolting people out there that are like willing to uh, <laughs> to back up your band. Like it's that. called yeah. charisma. It's called death and entertainment. This guy, <laughs> these kids had it. Buddy. So Queen released their self titled debut in 1973. Nothing much shaken with that. The only single that really hit was Keep Yourself Alive, which received some modest radio play in the UK, particularly by one DJ who played it over and over because he loved it. Their next two albums, Queen 2 and Sheer Heart Attack, are finally where they generated the much-needed hits, Seven Seas Rye and Killer Queen, respectively. I remember Killer Queen. I Killer. don't know you... Queen. Oh, man, so good. It is. And I don't want to get off on a tangent, but that guy you just heard, the EMI publicist, he claims that song is about him. <laughs> Killer when, Queen? It's actually about a call girl. But he's like, <laughs> no, the thing is, I had a pretty cabinet at the time. And I remember Freddie once told me, he looked at me and he said, oh, Eric, I'm sad because I can't have you and I want you. <laughs> By the way, back then I kind of was good looking and now I couldn't get anything. But, and he was rambling and it's like, okay, nobody believes that song is written about you, yeah. buddy. Well, maybe Freddie like, you know, uh, you know, kept him going like, yeah, yeah, it's about you. Like keep getting some <laughs> yeah. gigs and stuff. Yeah, and he's probably the creep and like, that's about me, right, boss? Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah darling. Yeah. That's a co- They're course. all about you, mate. <laughs> and nobody else is saying that anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was about me too. Yeah, yeah. I was of a fat boredom at the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so those about hits me. <laughs> 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 those hits set the stage for their creative and commercial breakthrough. The mass Masterpiece, A Night at the Opera, in 1975. Queen spent weeks rehearsing the music in the English countryside, and then about five months recording it in over seven different studios. 
Damn. Why? Why? Well, it complex multi-tracking for the vocal harmonies, 16-track tape to a 24-track tape. Okay. So they use a lot more tracks. Some, some of the equipment is necessary to do different songs. And I've read that this is the most expensive album ever produced at the time of its release. Wow. Yeah, they don't do shit like that anymore. Or the stuff that they do is cheaper, but yet no it has to be way. There's no cheaper. record companies paying like two million dollars no. for an album anymore. Yeah, for what the baby, Saweetie? <laughs> oh, you da baby? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in the movie, the biopic, they uh, they show them like laying over the tracks, and then they just kept going. It was like, and Freddie Mercury's like, perfect. <laughs> it was like super quick, but. As we're seeing, it's fucking yeah, seven it different studios. Arduous, probably, yeah, 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 painstaking. Like three people died during the making. <laughs> yeah, they're probably sweating, <laughs> yeah, about to kill yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. And like, they thought he was crazy. They weren't like, Freddie, we love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's about More me. track stalling. It's about me, right? <laughs> yeah, that guy. It's about me, Yeah, He keeps coming back. How did he get here? My tracks. <laughs> he shows up as a talking head in random <laughs> yeah. documentaries where they didn't even realize he was in it. He just shows up, manifests himself. He places himself. I've got a story to tell. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's in the talking tongue. Yeah, <laughs> he sounds like a British yeah. Harvey Feinstein. <laughs> Harvey Feinstein. Feinstein. Yeah, talk about speaking in tongues. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> so, a night at the opera is the epitome of Queen's eclectic style. You got rock, vaudeville, folk, Dixieland, pop, and opera. Opera. Yeah. Opera. It was the first platinum album for them in the United States. The two major singles were You're My Best Friend, written by bassist John Deacon, by the way. Wow. And Freddie's magnum opus, Bohemian Rhapsody, which he said was three songs in one. And he didn't know what to do with them, so he just threw them together. Yeah, that was like, I think they did cover this in the biopic. It was like they wanted the final version of that to be like... (laughs) nine minutes or something yeah. and EMI was like no 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 we're gonna cut it down like three or something yeah they're like we can't play this on the radio yeah unheard of to have a song that long but it's so good yeah, yeah. and then we have a clip of Roy Thomas Baker talking about it he helped Freddie make the song yeah produce it oh we got another big tongue guy in here. oh boy <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for this <laughs> I've got this idea for a song and he sort of sat down and sort of started playing the song and he stopped and said now dears this is where the opera section comes in i mean oh my god <laughs> and then we get on to like the, the rock part of the song when we started doing the opera section properly i like he took a break from um, drinking champagne <laughs> it just got longer and longer we just kept adding blank tape to this thing and it got bigger and bigger and bigger yeah, he's complaining about this song that bought him this like golden piano. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. Elton John is jealous of. Yeah. yeah, he's got like a Liberace setup. Like, I don't know why I did this. <laughs> Another track from A Night at the Opera is "Love of My Life," written by Freddie Mercury, rumored to be about his girlfriend Mary Austin. But it's about me. He first. <laughs> you mean me? Me. He first met her through bandmate Brian May, who had been casually dating her. And she worked at this mod clothing store called Biba that he liked. He would buy clothes from there, too. So he was buying a lot of clothes. He had his own store, and then he was going to her store. Yeah. It seems like Biba has uh, some some wild clothes. Whatever they're selling is not something you'd wear to, uh, to go bowling. No, you would wear it to front the band Queen. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> it <a> cuts. Yeah. <laughs> 
They became very close and even shared an apartment in West Kensington, London. Freddie later described their relationship as a common law marriage. Despite their love for each other, Freddie began an affair with David Minns, an executive at Electra Records, which was the label that handled Queen's American distribution. Okay. So in England, it was EMI. In the United States, it was Electra. So he's in love with this David guy and also in love with Mary, but he's probably doing David more often, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I think one's for a night out to go to the Emmys and one's for, you know, a night inside. (laughs) Yeah. To play Where's the Emmy? Yeah. (laughs) Or Hide the Emmy, I should say. (laughs) It's in the the bum. So found it. <laughs> others say Love of My Life was actually based on David Mintz. Mary and Freddie broke up in 1976 after he came out to her as bisexual, a scene that the movie so delicately demonstrates. Yeah. Oh, God. He looks like Michael Jackson in this. <laughs> I've been thinking about it a lot. I like I children. I'm bisexual. Oh, my God. Sorry, I'll go back on that. <laughs> no, no, you didn't miss anything. Are you okay? What do you want from me? Almost everything. Except your vagina. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> then David Minns is like, what do you want from me? <laughs> and then he's like, well. Everything you got. <laughs> yeah, what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in the clip, he's like, I'm bisexual. Yeah. But that is a very common thing for uh, someone who is gay, especially to their parents who let, they feel are like they're old school. They won't know what I'm going through. So they're like, Oh, I like men and women, so you still have a chance. Yeah. And it's like, no, we know what's up. He was a bit bi, though, too, I have to say. Really? Yeah. A little bit. Pretty fluid. Okay. You're saying his fluid was pretty? Oh. Um, (laughs) And the other pet peeve I have about the movie is the teeth they gave him. Yeah, and the way the way he talks too, it's just like it's so off-putting. They practically put chiclets in his mouth. Yeah, he looks like Bucky Larson. <laughs> yes, we get the point. I don't think it's really necessary. No, you know, I think just just play him as a person and not have to do these ridiculous mannerisms and stuff. Because he couldn't talk the whole time. He's like licking his teeth because <laughs> yeah. he's got these really big fake teeth in his mouth the whole time. Yeah, Anthony Cumia. I just watched a video on him oh, today God. where he was. Uh, uh, he was holed up in a hotel when he was on the road. Speaking of maniacs. Yeah. yeah. And he was watching uh, PBS because there was nothing else on. And they had um, the Bee Gees cover band, the Australian Bee Gees is what they call it. And they had it like a two-hour spectacular live concert. And he said all the guys in the band had like the fake buck teeth in while they were singing. <laughs> it was That's like so weird. It's the most fucking ridiculous. But the B- thing. the Bee Gees were Australian, also though, right? So they're just a Bee Gees band. But they I thought they were British. Bee Gees. I, I thought they were British too. They might be Australian, but regardless, they had everyone in the band from the drummer to the fucking keyboardist and the lead singers fucking snapping giant teeth in. And they're all fucking doing this. That's so hard. If I was a BJ, I'd hate that <laughs> shit, man. Yeah, exactly. It's like luckily they're all of them except for one are dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I think that that'll and th- finish them off. 
<laughs> I miss my family. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, bad. the whole movie Bohemian Rhapsody looks like one of those joke photos where you pose with the fake teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and he won an Oscar, so he gets the last laugh. I know, for real. True. So after they broke up, Freddie bought Mary a flat nearby, and they remained the best of friends for the rest of his life. Quote, all my lovers ask me why they couldn't replace Mary, but it's simply impossible. But were they actually good friends? Because the movie depicts yes. a different thing, where like they were neighbors, he would call her, but she seemed like super upset. That was made up. Really? Yes. But sh- she was actually like happy with it. They didn't life. have some insider info? The movie should have been called Once Upon a Time in England. Ooh. It was so inaccurate. Wow. Everything Shots about it. fired from Alejandro. It, it's yeah. It's about as real as Lord of the Rings. Wow. Wait, that wasn't real? <laughs> to Zachary Hughes it was. <laughs> and so in some ways Freddie was hetero romantic. Yeah. An early girlfriend Rose said she knew he was gay when he became enamored with photographs of men wrestling in <laughs> in the nude at an art exhibition. Oh, okay. It was just Andy Kaufman and <laughs> Jerry the King Lawler. <laughs> if that's your porn, like you got bigger problems. Yeah. <laughs> In a 1974 interview with New Musical Express, the reporter asked him if he was bent. And then Freddie replied, you're a crafty cow. <laughs> and he went on to declare. People talk so weird back in the day. <laughs> he declared, I am as gay as a daffodil, my dear. Are you bent? Are you bent? <laughs> what do you uh you want to bend my dick? <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to see some of his no. cheeky <laughs> interview styles, here we go. Here we go, darling. Do you have hobbies? I have no <laughs> Yeah, a lot of sex. Try and get out of that one. Living in a country, well I mean it's yeah. true. Uh, you don't ask me about taxis, go. No. I'm not. <laughs> Listen, if you if you guys want to move around and Shift your asses a little, it's okay. It's okay by us, right? You can take all your clothes off if you like to. Good matter. Saucy. I want everyone to get fucked all night, every day, just like I do. <laughs> what about the, the actual work in the studio when you four come together and everybody wants to, to bring his side of songs? It's uh, like a cockfight, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, four well, we, we've all, uh, four cocks fighting. God, it's getting nice, this. <laughs> How would you describe your, yourself as an artist? Would you say that you're a, a very organized person, a very spontaneous person, or how would you say? No, myself as an artist. I'm just a musical prostitute, my dear. Just a, <laughs> that's basically that. Organized or not? Oh, who cares? <laughs> so as you can see, he had Turns fun out, every, everything with the press. Sex, yeah. yeah. Also, just not taking the press very seriously. Yeah. He never said what the songs are actually about and didn't like giving interviews or revealing too much of himself. They never really outed him either, did they? They didn't really need to. People were curious. But it's weird how many people thought he was straight because of the Mary Austin thing. Oh, I'm sure the um, the PR teams of the the record companies they they had money then still, mm-hmm. so they actually did some work to do to make that case. And that was the time, as I mentioned earlier, where there were an actual lot of straight guys prancing around, you yeah. know, like Ziggy Stardust and Mata Hoople and. Yeah. Later on, people like D. Snyder and Twisted Sister. Yeah, but also there are fans that would refute the fact that he is gay because I remember when I was a kid, 
uh, me and my friend went to like his family's fucking picnic or whatever, and the barbecue, and someone put Elton Big John difference. on over the friggin' uh, like CD speakers, whatever. Uh, Elton John comes over the speakers and. This Goodbye, guy. yellow brick road. This drunk friggin' Bostonian just goes with a Bud Light in his hand. Just goes, I fucking liked Elton John before he was gay. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah, he was always gay. <laughs> he just yeah. couldn't accept the fact that he was gay. And he didn't officially come out till like 1992. Yeah. So I'm sure there are like. There were Queen fans, especially 70s, 80s, being like, he's not gay. And someone else is like, yeah. And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's why he didn't come out. There was no benefit to doing it because yeah. they're doing world tours going all over the place. Yeah. And it would be better if they were just perceived as That's why people stay, stay in the closet as far as their political beliefs, too, because oh, they don't want to lose like half of their audience. Yeah. Bother. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But like it's also but it's different in this circumstance that it's just people that are like hateful or they wouldn't like you if they found so. Yeah. But they don't want to be singing. Yeah. I I feel like in that time, that earlier time, people didn't want to be singing their songs if they found out they were about a guy. Yeah. Exactly. Following the explosive success of A Night at the Opera, Queen released the follow-up A Day at the Races. Both Marx Brothers movies, by the way, the titles. Night at the Opera, Day at the Races. Hey, what do you say, huh? And Groucho Marx called them up and wanted to meet them. Oh, wow. That would be the weirdest meeting ever. (laughs) So they did, and they gave him like a commemorative gold pressing of the records or something. (laughs) Yeah. And that's when he talked like this, because he was like 100 years old. <laughs> it was Groucho, Groucho yeah. Yeah, yeah. In his, oh, it's he like would, George Burns was there? <laughs> <laughs> look him up in the 70s. That was his shtick. He was this really old I heard like he, would, he, he was still a fan of like people that were coming up. I mm-hmm. think I heard Robert Klein said, uh, Groucho Marx sent him a letter that says, Come out to Los Angeles. Uh, um, I'll buy you dinner if I like you. I'll buy you breakfast too. Like thinking they were gonna have sex or something. <laughs> <laughs> then Freddie's like, "You're a bad dog." <laughs> yeah, they get along very well with this saucy talk. Groucher wow. was also friends with Alice Cooper. What? So day at the races. That. That's where somebody to love came from. Holy Touching shit. on gospel now. Mm. Big hit. Uh, Then they followed that up with News of the World, the album, which was influenced by the Sex Pistols coming onto the scene, and they wanted to be a little more hard rock. There's a story about Freddie and Sid Vicious, where Sid Vicious burst into the studio one time and was like, I hope you guys are happy for bringing ballet to the masses. (laughs) And then Freddie called him, like, Stanley Ferocious or something, (laughs) and then pinned him against the wall and was like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, Freddie Burgery's a big guy. Like, he'll fuck you up. Like, especially Sid Vicious. I think those guys thought because they're crazy punk guys that, you know, they could, you know, people are afraid of them. Like, they get their ass. Like, Freddie Burgery's like 6'5 or something. Yeah. And I love that. I love that he wasn't afraid to be who he was and that he wasn't going to take shit from people either. Yeah. But that was what I think punk started out as is like kind of cleaning out these big operatic uh, rock bands and Mm -hmm. stuff with their big. Stupid tours and, you know. <laughs> stupid tours? No, I'm not saying they're stupid, but yeah. like that, that you know, like, you know, Toto yeah. and a lot of these other big bands that they found annoying. Right? Yeah. Freddie Mercury will fuck you up and dick you down, which are those those two things combined. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Way worse. <laughs> yeah. It's a deadly combo in a man. <laughs> he'll fuck you up and he'll fuck you. Yeah, yeah. he'll fuck you. 
So News of the World gave us We Are the Champions and the B-side, We Will Rock You. Sports anthems, I love it. I was always fascinated that these big sports anthems played everywhere, every game. Yeah. And it was written by a bisexual guy. One of the gayest guy. people on the yeah. planet. Yeah. Yeah. He's I singing it, was... it in his underwear. Yes. And all the most macho bros are like, we are the champ. <laughs> They're not very picky, though, because another... <laughs> Gary Glitter? Yeah, Gary <laughs> Glitter. <laughs> Rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> he's the biggest fucking well, he's pedophile. A, he's a pedophile, yeah. He is? Yes. Yeah. No. He's yeah. the biggest pedo this side of the Philippines. That's old da, news. Na, na, na. Hey. Yeah. Da, na, na, na. That's a pedophile? All, I, all these jock jams are created by some very interesting people. Jocks don't really care. No. But also these days, they don't even care, obviously, who Freddie would be going to bed with. But I'm talking like in the 90s. Yeah. They followed that up with jazz. Which does not have any jazz on the album, by the way. And that gave us Fat Bottom Girls and B-Side Bicycle Race. The album was released with a commemorative poster of naked women riding bicycles. I remember buying that Best of album in that, wow. those pictures. I'm like, what is this? Like, this is a very weird thing. For Experimental, this yeah. Yeah. And apparently when they returned the bikes, the store had to change all the seats. Okay. <laughs> Because the women were naked. <laughs> no, Freddie wanted the seats taken off. So he could ride it? So it's okay. just a pole. <laughs> like my uncle. I told that story before. Yeah, you my did. My uncle wasn't gay, left with his friend on a bicycle race across country, came back. He was gay. I was like, we should have known because he didn't have the seat on the bike. Okay. Nice. <laughs> and you know what else is nice? <laughs> the Game, their next album in 1980. Gave us two number one hits. And we're talking in the U.S. as well. Yeah. Major, major songs. Crazy Little Thing Called Love and Another One Bites the Dust. Major. Now, I think Another One Bites is one of my... I, I started listening to that again after the movie because it's a great song. Yeah. One of the best bass lines. Yeah. Alone. And then John Deacon gave us Under Pressure about a year after that. And that was an improvised session between Bowie and Freddie Mercury. They did a bunch of coke one night, and they just started riffing, and it turned into Under Pressure. So who, whose album is that on? Bowie? That's on Hot Space from Queen. Oh, okay. But it was released as a single on its own before that album. Great song. Queen so has so many best rock songs, best anthems. Yeah. So Queen accompanied each album release with the world tour which took them from Milwaukee to Boston to Tokyo. To Framingham. <laughs> Framingham. <laughs> On the road, Freddie let loose and explored his sexuality. As his bandmates got married and became more family-oriented, he became more gay-oriented. <laughs> <laughs> Did you write that yourself? And his look evolved, too. Now he's wearing leather. Yeah. He's still got the mustache, though. and like the, Still? Yeah. You mean he's growing the mustache? Yeah. yeah. He ha didn't have a mustache in the early days. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, so he's really evolving here. Across the pond, his favorite hotspot was Mineshaft in New York City. And this is an infamous members-only leather bar located in the meatpacking district. Okay. 
Kyle, we set you up perfectly. Here. I know. I always when I, even <laughs> when I moved to New York City when I was in my early twenties, I thought the meatpacking district was like a slur term for the gay part of town, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Fire Island, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not joking. But this, I, I imagine he'd hit up Studio Fifty Four back in the day. If that, oh yeah, if it was still going on then. Wherever the party was, yeah, yeah. The dress code at Mineshaft was anything from jeans, uniforms, leather gear, and jock straps. Yeah. No <laughs> cologne or disco drag allowed. This sounds like where Vito got caught in Sopranos. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in the video for Don't Stop Me Now, Freddie proudly wears a Mineshaft t shirt. He's got merch. My, and have merch. Brian May. Having a good time. Having a good time. <laughs> Brian May wasn't such a big fan of the song because he thought it symbolized Freddie's excess. So they, they didn't want, they're like, all right, the gay stuff is cool, but let's not get too crazy here. Yeah. <laughs> he was going really gay at this time. Yeah. And then. I'm a shooting star. <laughs> <laughs> he was already pretty gay. And then he saw the village people. And he's like, I'm going to copy that look. So then he went even gayer and got like a policeman hat yeah. and sunglasses. And that that he had like his microphone was very unique. It was like a staff. Almost. He would always pull it out. Yeah. yeah. No, he. Yeah, yeah. And then he it made it into like he looked like He-Man, like a character from He-Man or something that had like a big staff. Yeah. Or something. That it, was his signature move with the microphone. Yeah. yeah. Pulling Free the wheeling. mic stand out of, yeah. out of the top. No, like, but not just half. not just the the, the mic itself but he wanted like the the base uh of a stand right I don't know. It, was a, it was definitely a different more unique look than a lot of what bands were doing around this time and the other guys are doing their own thing so they're not as outlandish so queen really brian just had the huge hair his hair was like fucking huge yeah, it was like marge simpson <laughs> yeah i was insane and it's still like marge simpson yeah he still gray. looks like that yeah <laughs> really great yeah. or white i should say <laughs> But yeah, so the, that band really, they were four pieces that became this whole. That's why they're so unique, I yeah. think. Freddie's appetite was so voracious. Sometimes he could hardly wait for the concert to be over, so he would get serviced while performing. And I have a clip from an audiobook about Mr. Mercury. Service. And this story is taken from a road manager. Around 78, 79, when Queen became huge, Freddie's appetite soared. He was non-stop sex and drugs. Before a show, after a show, even between songs. Before an encore, he'd nip backstage, have a few lines of coke, get a quick blowjob from some bloke he'd just met, then run back to the stage and finish the gig. The man had stamina. <coughs> for Freddie, and for the rest of Queen, there was to be no let-up in their hectic schedules. <laughs> so, what's the problem? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like typical rock star behavior. I hate the way they say schedules. Schedule. <laughs> it's schedule. No, it's yeah. schedule, darling. Uh, we created the uh, language. So he happily adopted a hedonistic lifestyle. Quote, excess is part of my nature. Dullness is a disease. I was not made for staying indoors and watching television. I like to have sexual intercourse all the time. He allegedly went to bed with hundreds of men. Was the promiscuity there to cure his loneliness? I don't I know. I mean, I'm surprised if it's hundreds. It's got to be thousands. Yeah. No, I meant hundreds in 1978. Oh, just in No, I'm just kidding. I don't well, know. Well, yeah. No, it had to be a thousand. It had to be well, thousands. Well, I, I think he's used to being alone because he's like, 
you know, he came from a different background. You just plopped right into London and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, you always feel like an outsider, probably, at that. On top of the part, he's gay, which I'm sure just you know, <laughs> made it wilder for him. And he was not forthcoming about his background ever, that he was Farak Balsara or yeah. from Zanzibar. And did he even talk to his parents, really? They get along all right. There's a lot they don't know. Yeah, I bet. He wasn't <laughs> forthcoming. He was backcoming. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> besides Moving sex, on. besides sex and rock and roll, there was also drugs. I bet at the clubs, all kinds of candy was passed around, including coke, acid, quaaludes, secondol, and ecstasy, which were labeled as happy pills and sold for ten dollars a pop. God, I wish I was born at this time. Yeah. Because of the drugs or the sex? Yup. <laughs> yes. Yes and yes. Freddie also threw his own debaucherous parties that were legendary. At the launch party for the album Jazz, which was on Halloween in New Orleans, there were strippers, snake charmers, nude wait staff, a man biting off chickens' heads, wrestling <laughs> models, 30,000 pounds worth of champagne, pounds, I believe, in the British sense, the currency. <laughs> yeah, and like, get what? this, for the finale, dwarves in G-strings with plates of cocaine strapped to their heads. Um, I, I need this. and this is what sasha baron cohen wanted to portray in his version of the freddie mercury biopic yeah we talked about that i that would have been great but they had clearly they had a different more wholesome vision for the movie (laughs) they made a family film pg-13 yeah where nothing is accurate yeah and it made a billion dollars sasha baron cohen was in the running to do brian initially yeah um, but Very seriously, he came close to doing the movie. He would be great. But the problem was, um, with a lot of these biopics, is the band owns all the songs. So mm, yeah. whatever they want, they're going to hang those those songs over the head of that. Like Madonna, that they almost did that biopic before she killed that. So yeah. like, they're, they're going to do whatever they want, and they want to include their own, you know, personas into this movie too where the real story is yeah. is Freddie Mercury in the 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 dwarf dwarf cocaine stuff. You're getting it right now, yeah. the real story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. From the late 70s to the mid 80s, Freddie split his time between London and Munich, a place he particularly loved because he could live in peace and quiet. And also the city's nightlife was one big playground for him. One of his pastimes in Munich involved a group of young men who would be led into his room, and then they would parade around wearing nothing but women's hats. Hello. And then he would choose one or two of them to be his companion or companions for the night. Imagine if Hitler knew this was going on. Probably rolling <laughs> in his fucking grave. <laughs> He'd be like, fuck! Look what I'm missing! Yeah, exactly. He might actually be down with this stuff. His routine would be to record music and then go hit the party scene. Freddie threw an epic 39th birthday party at Henderson's nightclub, his favorite dance spot in Munich. The affair was something out of a Fellini film. Black and white dress code, flamenco dancers, ballerinas, performers dressed up like trolls, ogres, and thieves. That sounds like a share song. There were fireworks. And for the finale, another dwarf. This time he's covered in pate. And nothing else. <laughs> and he would shake every time somebody stuck their dull knife into him. What? 
Okay, let's just move on. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to make of this. In oh London, London, he would often go to heaven, which of course is a gay nightclub, <laughs> the most popular one there. And they had an adjoining leather bar called the Cellar, which was a dark room where anything goes. Oh, Jesus Christ! Well, and, <laughs> what sorry, goes but... on in the rest of the place? <laughs> <laughs> you see someone blowing a dude by the bathroom. Yeah. He's like, you should see the cellar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's when people really let their hair down. <laughs> so at this time, he's got the full-on what is called the clone look, which was just that masculine mustache look that gay men adopted in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And it was heaven, the nightclub, where Freddie was chatting with a handsome flight attendant from Quebec one night. They had previously been introduced in New York City by a mutual acquaintance. His name was Gaetan Duga. Although their conversation was brief, little did Freddie know that he was the man who would be dubbed Patient Zero of the AIDS epidemic. No fucking way. Wait, what? He was infected by patient zero. No way. Wait, but find out next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't. I just, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know. I'm going to explain it, but, it. All right, let's hear. To be continued. This has been a production of Death in Entertainment. Join us again next week to hear the riveting final chapter in the remarkable life of Freddie Mercury. Please add it to your schedule. Cheerio.